people get so passionate about about both sides of the fence and they just let it infect and i use the word infect specifically they let it infect every aspect of their lives yeah you know what i mean friends you know uh investments politics is like it's like a cloud not a dark rain cloud or storm it's just this cloud and it kind of <laughs> what do you think of the old uh blink 182 thing dude it was great so you said they're not the same without tom so tom i guess had left for a while but he was back on this album because i quickly recognized he was back oh yeah yeah that. so what's yeah. cool is um one of the guys that works for me uh one of my advisors alec so he has some really in-depth knowledge of sort of you know how bands function and and, and different things they've gone through he kind of keeps up on those things and uh he was telling me that this album it's so good right it, be, the reason is it's the first time since like 2002 or three whichever album that was i maybe it was take off your pants and jacket that they actually recorded in the same room the other really? albums they had after that you know maybe mark was in uh, new york and tom was in la and travis was somewhere else and they were just recorded independently and then they would just all mix it together at least that's what i was told whether that's true or not i, I don't know uh, but he was telling me that's what he had he had read somewhere but this is the first time they actually kind of got back together kind of mended fences and and you can just hear like there's that one song they have it's called dance with me mm -hmm. right dude that sounds so good that reminds me of like bouncing souls it's just it has such good energy to it you know here's the thing i'm 47 and tom and travis are 47 mark is actually 51 so it's like cool so us dudes in our 40s we can still bring it Oh my gosh! Oh, uh, Green Day. Were you? Uh, you seem like you'd be. A Green oh yeah, Day. yeah. Green Day is yeah, Green, yeah. Green Day is great. Dookie, their first album. From, uh, I only uh, came out in '93. It was one of my first. It was one of the first ones I had. I think I. I think I wore that. I just listen. I had a '64 Mercury Comet. That's what I drove to high school, uh -huh. and I worked at my dad's shop, mopping floors and working in the machine shop for years. And I saved up enough money to buy an Alpine CD player, and I built a console to put an Alpine CD player inside my. 64 mercury comet and between uh raging Against the machine dookie of course nirvana never mind was huge back then um but yeah you know it's i green day was good and, and green day actually they kind of went uh you know they get a little they get a little political here and there um raging Against the machine does that and of course you know if you're if you're in a i mean rock music or whatever anything that's related to that most of those guys are you know, all, all kind are cut from the same cloth and they all kind of have the same belief structure. And I just don't like necessarily politics in my music. I just kind of want to listen to a good beat and kind of forget about things for a while. So sometimes that stuff gets a little bit trying, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, okay, okay. We don't really need to, you know, but I get that's, that's, that's how bands function, right? They, they have their, their passions or whatever, and that's what moves them. And that's what makes the music. But so I get it. It's kind of a weird I guess a trade-off. Now would probably be a great time. 13 minutes, four stock recommendations, and pissing off probably three-fourths of the country with political uh, talk. Yep. We'll say, hey, welcome to the intelligent investment market update. <laughs> um, uh, Garrett Lowe here with Matt Dahl. Um, and as always, uh, anything that we say about individual stocks or anything else is not construed to be investment advice. And uh, pretty much all your hate mail, uh, I will leave uh, Matt's email address in the description feel free to pass along your comments to him so uh, hey thanks for joining us man i think uh I'm not, that's, there's your add break of the day brought to you by adderall because i completely forgot to even say hello in the beginning so welcome to the show
<laughs> well, that's that's how, that's that's how we roll. We just start going. We, we somehow we started with Blink One Eighty Two, and now we're talking about targets politics. And I'll be I'll be honest how, with you, I'm about eighty percent sure that this is the raw take so far. I don't think I'm editing a thing from what we've said so far. I think that's yeah. exactly the way the show's going to come out. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, if we were going to get raw, let's get raw, right? <laughs> you and I, we have these discussions, and I tell my advisors, and I tell my clients, I tell them, don't let your politics get in your investments. Don't, because you'll make emotion. The whole point of what we do is to remove emotion from the markets, right? Earnings are good. Economy is good. Blah, 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 blah. There's all these indicators to say things are going to be okay. The market's just going through a bit of a catharsis, whatever. But don't let these emotional, these emotionally generated decisions or the, you know, or things that stir your emotions get into your, your politics. But do you not you think know? that they know exactly what they're doing with that? Because I don't think that they're putting their personal views into it at all. I, my personal opinion is that they have done thorough research analysis and figured out who their target audience is and they're playing to that target audience's belief system. And yes, probably doing it as controversially as possible to get their customer base fighting with somebody else about the views of their thing to keep their, their name in the headlines. So would you, I mean, I'm sorry, maybe I'm crazy, but there's gotta be a little bit of that going on. What you think? Yeah. But that comes from their personal belief that it's okay. Oh, that's true. You know what I'm saying? But, like, that that's okay. I, but, that's not okay. But if the because, CEO of XYZ Company, and I like to say XYZ Company because that keeps me out of hot water since I don't trade stocks for anybody. But if the CEO of XYZ Company says that, you know, they want to come out in support of whatever agenda you want to put out there on either side of the aisle, I don't care. Because they have done it, done research to know that that's going to be what's best for their bottom line. You're not necessarily saying that that's because that CEO agrees with that value. You're saying that they just do, they put the politics of their audience in, in play when it, you don't think it should be, but it's not necessarily what they even believe. You think they just put up whatever they need to, to stir things up. Well, whether they personally believe it and they, they would vote that way or they wouldn't vote that way, you know, is immaterial. The fact that they would allow it yeah. is endorsement enough. Yeah. You know, because frankly, when I when 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 I take my my six year old son to Disney, Disneyland, right, mm -hmm. I want him to, you know, take a picture with Mickey Mouse and go to the Haunted Mansion and go on, you know, the the, the roller coasters and, you know, and enjoy the day. I, I don't want I, there shouldn't be this weird political overhang. You know, that that kind of follows, you know, same thing with Bud Light. No one wants to. No one wants to drink Bud Light and be thinking about, you know, some sort of a transgender debate. Like, I just want to have a beer and watch a football game. Is that okay with you? Can I just have a beer and watch a football game and not worry about whether, you know, I'm I'm supporting or not supporting a transgender agenda? I'm just it's 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 gotten crazy. So, hey, you know, congratulations, Matt. We've we've officially on an investment related uh, podcast. I'm officially going to have to check the box that says explicit content for the first time on a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, these guys are just the, the I mean, and, and, and that, well, that, and that, and that gets into the judgment of the, of a portfolio manager. Yeah. Right, I, I was going to say, maybe we should probably get back on, on rail here for a second. Yeah. Well, yeah, this thing, but, but, but yeah, but that gets into the judgment of the portfolio manager. Okay. So do I trust, do, do I trust the judgment of these CEOs? Well, but, but that would let's, allow let's, talk about, let's define what we're talking about here, though, because if, if we're talking about uh, we, we started off talking about a client 
and their personal beliefs about a certain, you know, owning a certain company. And now we kind of extended that upstream to a cause of that, which are these companies that are pushing, you know, their own political agendas or whatever, uh, for whatever reason the, the case may be. So my question, maybe before we get too far off on that, is back to that client, because I've had that situation before as well. And I mean, I've had clients that refuse to buy certain stocks because of one side. And then I've had other clients on the same book of business that refuse to buy stocks on the opposite side. Um, yep. And my personal belief was always basically to make sure I communicated to them what that changed. Okay. So I'll give an example of someone who wanted to, who, who did not want to own a sector based ETF because within that sector based ETF, there were, you know, three holdings that were against their core beliefs that made up a total of, you know, 7% of the portfolio or 14% of the portfolio. So what I went in and did is I reconstructed, it was fortunately a big enough account that I, you know, it could, it could withstand this. I reconstructed the top 10 holdings of that ETF and replaced those two with the 11th and 12th. And, you know, they ended up getting 60% probably correlation to the movement of the index without the stocks that they didn't want. And, you know, that's able to, we can work that out, but I can, explain to them the pros and cons of that, you know, and, and make sure that they understand it. But I would say this, and, and this is maybe to play devil's advocate. Uh, and I don't even know if I'm playing devil's advocate because you haven't really answered your side of uh, my question yet because I haven't asked it, but um, it's part of the fun. When I was an advisor, I guess I looked at it like this. We, we talked a little bit. I don't know if it was on the show or not, but about me uh, doing some football coaching with my son's team. And what was interesting about that is that, you know, we didn't have every single every single ingredient that you would love to have. I'd love to have a you know a five foot ten quarterback that can throw it forty five yards and a five foot nine receiver that can run fast and can catch it. You have to work with what you got to work with though, right? If a client comes to you and says, This is how I you know, th these are my beliefs, I think as an advisor, you know, we better be accommodating to that or somebody else is going to come along who is. And some advisors specialize in not accommodating that. And I think that's fine as well. But if you are building a broader book and, and you're trying to, to appeal to a broad audience, you have to allow for some customization to that. But then what I would say is I think it's something that the client needs to define it in advance, not seven innings into a game that's not going our way yet. And now all of a sudden we don't believe in the stock. That's something you need to be careful about. You that you need to make sure you know what the ingredients are before you try to bake the cake. So I don't know if there was a question buried in any of that, but surely the good. No, I, I, I know what you're, I know what you're getting at here. <laughs> let, 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 let's 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 so so let let's flip it right. Let's say let's say Disney instead of when we bought it at 150 instead of it being at 80, let's say it was at 300. Would that phone call have happened yesterday? I don't know. You know what I mean? Who yeah. knows? So core beliefs. Core beliefs, okay, that's fine, but a lot of that kind of tends to go away with performance of of, an, of, a, of a company, whether you agree with it or you don't. And that's and that's kind of the overall point of, you know, don't don't if, if don't let your politics infect because let's say that situation did occur, you know. And by the way, I had some same, I had very similar conversations regarding Meta. Um, again, not. We're not giving stock advice here, but very similar questions regarding Meta. Is, it, was, it was last year when Meta was having a tough time. And I said, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a strong company. They have, they have great growth. They're, they're trading at a, real, a, a very reasonable price of their growth. Um, you know, all of, those, all of those things. But people had sort of some fundamental belief issues with, with that company. I said, you know, listen, it's, it, 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 I have every 
reason to believe it's, it's going to recover its share price in a relatively short period of time. And it's up, what, over 100% this year. We started, I mean, yeah, Meta started this year at, uh, what, $124, $125, bucks, and we're at 300 So we more than doubled, you know. It's, 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 it's done incredibly well this year. So, you know, but I've not gotten any phone calls, by the way, on Meta. That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. Zero, zero phone calls on, well, you know, well, no, you know, we're up 150%. Yeah. And, you know, so, so there's this, there's this, there, clients tend to listen to you sort of, and you want to be, and to your point, yeah, you want to be accommodating because obviously anybody can come in there and steal like, yeah, those, there, those people are bad. Oh, you wouldn't want to put your money, you wouldn't want to put your money into a company like that. You know, they, they do all these horrible things and they think all these terrible things. And, and then they, they, they sort of, um, they solicit to the client's, you know, core belief structure rather than their, their intellectual, you know, quantitative side. And that's, that's really hard to fight against. It just is, you know? So, so yeah, you have to, you have to, uh, be able to be flexible in those situations, uh, depending on the client, depending on how long the client's been there. I mean, you know, if there, there, there's a lot of factors that go into that decision process. Uh, but you know, you, you want, you just want to make sure that we're not, you know, you're not, you're not dismissing, you're dismissive of the client's beliefs and wishes and wants, but you're also not letting them do exactly what you tell them not to do on a daily basis, which make an emotional decision, wherever that emotion comes from, whether it's your politics or whatever, what have you, you want to make sure that they're, they're not making these emotional decisions. And again, back to, let's look at, let, let's juxtapose Disney and, and Meta in 2023. I had a, a similar amount of, I don't believe in these companies and their belief in, 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 in what they feel about, how they feel about things in their politics last year. I've had zero calls on Meta this year. I've had a lot of calls on Disney. What's the difference? Well, Meta's up 150%. Disney's down 40%. So I'm guessing that has something to do with it. Oh, man, <laughs> I don't miss uh, that part of this at all. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my gosh. If you do your job right, a client will always be mad at you for something. You know what I mean? Like, if you – did I tell you about the client uh, that – my gosh, I, well, there's no way he'll ever hear this. They ever tell the client who literally got mad at me over the options thing and, and like told me one thing one month and then turned me, told me the complete opposite the next month? No. This is totally worth telling. I'm sorry. This is worth an ADD break. So okay. 2015, 2016, um, the market just falls to hell in a handbasket like two months after I start my RIA. Right. Yeah, I remember that. That was like that summer, like uh, late yeah. July of 2015. Then it went up. Then it then it crashed back down in uh, January, February 2016. That's right. So in the in the immediate crash, I had this client. I mean, the market goes down 10 percent in three days, and his account went down too. And I was pretty happy about that. But yeah. we also sold a bunch of stuff because it was chaotic, and I needed to sell the put options because the VIX went so high that those things were crazy expensive. But to keep the risk in line, I had to sell some stocks to go along with it. And he just saw me selling a bunch of things at a big loss and thought I was an idiot. And I said, yeah, but look at what your overall portfolio did during this time. All right, so the market muddles along for a few months, doesn't really do anything except move a lot of up and down and not really move any direction. And then in January, from a decent high point, it goes down about another 15%. Now, during that time, he calls me and he's like, 
everything that you're buying right now is losing money except these put option thingies. And I, I want you to stop buying and trading all this other stuff. You can still do the put option thingies, but I need you to, to stay away from all this other stuff. I just want to sell everything except the put options. I said, okay, well, let me explain something to you. <laughs> Those put options are insurance against everything else in the portfolio. If I sell everything else and just buy that stuff, then it's just betting against the market. And right. this isn't going to work. That's how those thingies work. Yeah. So well, I'm being very literal, and that's exactly his terminology. That's why I'm being so specific. So anyway, you fast forward a little bit. Now, I ended up winning some element of this argument because I did not just end up building him a put option index. But somehow or another, a month later, he calls me back and is like, don't buy any more of those put option thingies. Every single one of them are losing money, and everything else is finally working, but everything, these option thingies keep losing money. Just stop. And I think it was around that time that it was like, I don't, I knew it was coming. I didn't really tell him to transfer his account, but it was just like, do what you're going to do, man. Like, I have nothing left at this point. Like, because it's, it's literally a month later, you're just not understanding it. And it's all these are things that these conversations we had just had six months prior, this is how this is going to work. And it's just, at the end of the day, the overall outcome was good, but the client didn't understand each piece of it. And that's one of the really, really tough things about the job, man, is as you, as you become, someone told me this a long time, and I may have said this on the show the other day, but the smarter you become, the harder it becomes to articulate what you know to the average person because the gap gets bigger. So it's, it's a, that's it, not hard for me at all. I, and oh it's, God. you know, and that's a difficult, how do you fight against that? I mean, I think that's where the really brilliant minds of the industry and the ones who really end up putting up rock star careers are the ones who do figure out a way to bridge that gap because the smartest people in the world talk in ways that I just don't understand. I'm sure they're right. I just have to take them at their word for it. Right. And somebody told me that early in my career and I wish I'd listened to it more because I, I worked on it for a while. And then I finally got to a point where I thought I was smart enough that it didn't matter um, that I could overcome it. And boy, that was really stupid. But I think that it does become difficult because you, 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 you don't want to be condescending to those who do know what you know, but you don't want to, talk over the people's head that who don't and, you, and there's such a wide range where people could fall. You don't really know where it's at. So, um, but that's the most difficult thing about being an advisor is taking that gap and, and bridging it and helping them to understand, okay, yes. At the end of the day, are you allowed to, you know, is it, is it ideal to let your political views wag the, the dog of your investment style? Well, no, not if we're taking a purely capitalistic view, but if you're going to take that stance, then you're clearly articulating that your core beliefs are worth sacrificing financial gain. And that's OK. People do that. That's that to me. You, you ref, if an advisor refuses to work with a client just because they don't want to own a certain stock, that's the equivalent of saying, I don't want to work with you because you want to donate X, Y, Z to this charity or that charity. It's what you do with your money is up to you. If you want to leave you know, money on the table for your beliefs, that's fine with me. Um, but you have to make sure that you're not doing what I, you know, what you're experiencing now is that it wasn't a core belief when it was up 200%. It's a core belief when it's down 50%. And that right. I get, that's a, that's a frustrating thing to have to deal with because that's emotions that are reacting in real time. Not well, the thing. I mean, you know, don't let your emotions, don't let your politics infect your investments. Right. You keep saying that over and over. <clears throat> well, that goes I'm on both sides of the fence. So, you know, I mean, if, if, if the, if the portfolio is up, if that position is up, all of a sudden, you know, do your now now they don't matter, or they did matter when it was down. I, you know, it's 
it's it's it's okay in, in either scenario but you can you know you can't what happens nothing see nothing ever happens in a vacuum and stays that way right because once you start going down that road it becomes slippery yeah. right it tends to take on a life of its own those things that well okay well okay and then yeah, I, I, okay. You want to sell this, you want to sell next thing, you know, you've got, you know, these person's portfolio and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's frankly not a very good portfolio based on what we as portfolio manager and, and, and analysts look at, right. But it's what the client wants. Well, then you have to step way back and say, well, that's, do you need me at this point? Because this isn't our portfolio. This is your belief structure that you're investing in. So you don't need me for this. You, you know what I mean? Because now most of portfolio is, is things that you want in there, you know, whether it does good or it does bad or whatever, it's, 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 it's not really, we're not really managing your money in there. We're just simply transacting on the, on, on behalf of your emotions and, and, and beliefs, which wow. now, now as a fiduciary, is that okay? I don't know. I don't know. So that, that's kind of a big question. So, so now we're getting back into a little bit more of a, a generic uh, kind of middle ground conversation. So this is kind of fun. So I've had this happen to me too, right? Where, and I'll tell you a, a story. This is a client that if he does happen to hear the show, uh, I'd be cool with him hearing this story because he was, he handled it great. and It was awesome. But I had a client who at one point um, his account had gotten to a point where he wanted to diversify and do a few different things. And we just kind of threw stuff at the wall and was like, let's try this. Let's try that. I mean, in a, in a confined, educated, strategic way, but we, we explored a few different things. Well, and then he would always randomly call in and, and say, you know, buy 10,000 of this, buy 10,000 of that. Well, what was funny about it is that there were times there where mine were getting killed and his were, were doing well. But I will say he's one of the only clients, maybe the only client, Whoever, when the tide shifted, you know, six months later and mine rallied back and, and we're, we're kicking ass and his were, were struggling, he called it back out and pointed it out to me then and, and actually said, you know what, now yours are actually doing a little bit better. <laughs> I guess it makes a little bit more sense. But it was never, it was cool because it was never a competition between he and I. But that's the only environment I've ever been able to have there where the client makes their own decisions and you get, and you make your own and you don't end up getting graded somehow on it. Because even when I was down to him, he wasn't throwing it in my face. You know, it was just a, it, it, he understood well, it was a, it was his way of diversifying, right? It wasn't that he didn't trust me. He just wanted to throw some of his stuff in there because he, I think in his own little, you know, maybe, maybe he didn't know that this would be the exact words, but what I would say is that he knew that there was a very weak correlation between his good ideas and mine. And that was a good way to start trying to diversify a little bit. I got a problem with that, but that's the way he kept it. That's a very hard way. That's not going to happen probably 99% of the time. They're going to automatically grade themselves versus you. Well, so, I mean, that happens quite a bit. And here's why. So the best in the world, the best, you know, call the biggest hedge funds in the world, right? The, the Ray Dalio's of the world, the, the you know, the, 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 the David Tepper's, um, those types, okay? They try to bat 600. They try to I wish David Tepper could bat 600 and put a football team together. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's right down there by you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that's the goal is you, you buy your portfolio set. Okay. And then a year later, are you 600? Are, are, are 60% of the positions in that portfolio positive or they, you know, based on the market, whatever. Okay. That's, that's kind of the goal is to bat 600. That's hard to do. People think it's, that's very, 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 very hard, hard to do. do. Okay. So, 
we're we're right there. You know, we have a tremendous we put a tremendous amount of effort and energy. Uh, this year we're a bit better than that. We've had years where we're a bit worse than that. But we we try to stay in that in that rough area, and we and we and we do a pretty good job of it. That means what does that mean? That means there's 40 percent that have gone the other way. So let's take a scenario where a client calls and says, uh, "I want to I want to own this because this person has this CEO has superpowers and they have found the next thing that will cause humanity to revolutionize itself." And okay, so you do that. You put that stock in, or or this is a good, safe company, and I think the market's going to go down, or for whatever whatever reason they have that they want, you know, call any stock, United Health, all the way down to, you know, Whirlpool. Okay, I want to put in Whirlpool because I've had this happen to you. I want Whirlpool because I've had Whirlpool in my house since 1972, and gosh darn, not a single one of them's ever broken down. And I every 10 years I replace my Whirlpool appliances. Okay, that's fine, and I double dog dare you to argue with that one. You know, like I'm not winning this argument. There's no chance I'm winning this argument. So we buy Whirlpool. You buy Whirlpool. Now you have, you know that there's 40% of your stocks likely are probably not going to go up, right? Because that's just how the whole, that's how the, the law of averages work and what we do. So when the client calls it, well, yeah, you see my Whirlpool compared to your, you know, Disney. Well, yeah, but what about the other 15, 16 stocks that are outperforming Whirlpool, they won't do that. What they'll do is they'll usually pick out the ones that are doing bad, you know, that's in the port. So you should have just put Whirlpool in their place. Like, okay. Okay. So there's this sort of like, I get to, I get to use my hindsight and pick on the portfolio manager who has to look at, you know, a hundred different stocks and pick out the best ones and whether, you know, for them, it's a roll of the dice, you know, but it, it, but to be fair, it's, it's kind of fun. And, and I'm being hundred percent honest. For the first 10 years or so, I was really, dis of my career, I was dismissive. I was dismissive of client input on, on just general anecdotal data, okay? And that, I learned that that was a mistake, you know? I, I learned that that was a mistake. There, sometimes you, you kind of have to, to, to read the tea leaves and, we, I, you know, I, I, I sit and I, I look at facts that all day and I look, you know, I look at the DeMarc counts all day and I, I read, I go through all of my my macro research all day. And it, it gives me a good idea of what's happening. Like PCE came out today. It was right on consensus. Um, GDP came out yesterday, blew the, blew the cover off the ball. Economy's doing fine. But I had a, I had a, a dinner a few weeks ago with a, a friend. He's actually a, a plastic surgeon. And he's like, you know, my consults are down from 15 a day to eight. Okay. That's that's the upper end of of, of uh, discretionary income people, right? And they're they're tightening up, they're tightening up a little bit. And you know, seven eight years ago, I would have been dismissive of that, but now I'm not. I'm like, okay, well, there's something to that. So when clients come to me for with with ideas and 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 feelings and beliefs, I tend to try to keep them more open ear now than I did in my younger days. You know what I mean? Because it's not that they're wrong or they're right, but it's something that maybe you're not, it's, it might be an area or a consideration set that, that you're not really spending any energy on. And it, it's, and it's, it's, it's valuable whether it turns out to be or not, who knows, right? Should we actually talk about a market update? Well, I was going to say, yeah, we've not updated at all. We've, uh, I was looking at it. We're down about 5% or so overall since our yeah. last show on the 13th. Is that right? 
Uh, we were at 40, uh, we're about 42.50. So we're about uh, 41.20 now on the S&P. So yeah, we're I've done about three or four, somewhere in that range. Tell us so, a little bit about what's going, about what's driving that a little bit, because I haven't uh, been keeping up with the day-to-day news swing. So what's uh, what's been behind that from what you've you've watched? Well, so frankly, it's it's nonsense in my opinion. Um, we've had rates increase. In fact, it went to four. It actually went to five hundred two at one point, and. The reason that happened, uh, obviously, you know, the GDP came out strong. Uh, we've just had this never-ending rise in interest rates, and that's really just put a headwind on, on equities. It, it's really it's caused this buyer strike, right? Um, and then earnings have started to come out, and that's been sort of this. It's given this uh, energy to the sell side, and frankly, I don't really understand why. Okay, I mean, we have eighty percent of the companies on the S and P beating their estimates by six, 6%, which is good. Let's, let's pick on Google for a second. Okay. Let's look at, let's look what happened to Google. Google was down nine and a half percent the day after earnings. Okay. So you would think, well, they must have, they must have missed earnings. They must have, something must've happened. Consensus, consensus estimates for earnings for Q3 dollar 46 a share. They came in at $1.55. They had a 6.2%. They beat their estimate by 6.2%. Sales beat by 1%. They had a, 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 seven, a seven point, basically $7.59 billion uh, sales estimate for Q3. Came in at $7.67 billion. Okay. One of their items, one of their, one of their units there, the Google Cloud, missed, missed its revenue target. So the street punished it by nearly 10% the next day because they consider that it's, it's growth engine. And to some extent there, of course, they're not wrong. I mean, they're the market. So the markets, if the market's wrong or the market's right, it doesn't matter. It's right because that's what, that's right. what the decision is, right? So, but if you look at the overall, what, what's more of a, of a barometer, I mean, Google, Google search, Google, Google advertising, that did really, really well. That and so they missed one of their big, uh, you know, which makes up about ten percent or so of their revenue. The Google Cloud missed it by a little bit. Yeah, the ninety percent did really, really well, which is why they beat overall by six point two percent, and they got punished by nine and a half percent the stock the next day. We're talking about a two trillion dollar company, yeah. right? So, I mean, it lo- it lost the market cap of four Fords, four <laughs> Ford Motor Companies the next day, based three maybe it was three Fords. It was it was you know that's crazy. On an earnings, and you look, yeah, yeah, and you look at you know you look at uh, uh, Amazon, knocked it out of the park last night. Okay, they're doing up. They're up six or seven percent. What was it? Yeah, they're up seven percent today, and they beat estimates quite a bit. They had consensus earnings of fifty nine cents a share. They beat it by sixty percent. Earnings of ninety four cents a share. hundred forty one billion dollars in sales estimate. They came in one hundred forty three billion dollars in sales. So, I mean, talk about knocking the cover off the ball. They did. I mean, they, they absolutely did it. And they're up, you know, six and a half, seven percent. Less, they're up less than Google was down when they, when they beat earnings too. So Meta just destroyed, destroyed earnings, destroyed revenue. They gave on the earnings call and they were up like five, six percent after hours that day. That was uh, uh, Wednesday. So after hours, they're up. Then uh, Susan Lee came on. She's the CFO of uh, of Meta, 
and gave guidance in regards to advertising dollars that could be affected due to the Middle East conflict. And that's it. That's all. That's all it was. And the mar- and you just saw right after she said that, it, it lost. It was down 4% after hours. So when rates are where they are, when, good, when money is this expensive and you have this much tight, you have this much tightening of financial conditions or financial conditions are tight as they are right now, there is just no room for error. And every time just the, the whisper of the potential idea of a softening and guidance sometime in the future that may or may not ever occur, <laughs> companies are just getting absolutely taken to the woodshed for it, even in their beating guidance, even if they're, they're not actually lowering their guidance. And that's what I'm finding, and this is, and that's what I'm finding really frustrating about this market. But if you look at the overall, things are fine. Again, GDP came out at a 4.9 percent annualized rate last quarter, on consensus of 3.7. I mean, the economy's growing. Here's a good thing. Look at, let's look at credit. The credit market is where I, I, I tend to spend a lot of my time. And you can do something. You you can look at the distressed credit, like the triple C's. Versus the versus the double B. So you're talking about high yield junk bonds against really really bad junk bonds, like the distress level junk bonds. That spread is narrowing, which I mean, if it was if the economy was weakening, those you know those real soft companies that have real poor credit ratings, the triple C's, you know, people would be selling off that debt like crazy, and they're not. They're actually they're they're selling off the the other high yield bonds at a higher rate then they're selling off the distress because they're getting such high yield on the, on the triple C's. And let's, let's, let, so let's take that exact comparison and move it up again to the, to the investment grade, investment grade corporate versus just high yield. So the LQD, which is investment grade corporate bonds, it's down 7% in the last three months, 7%. Okay. So people have sold off those corporate bonds, just like they sold off treasuries, all the whole thing. But let's look at high yield. High yield bonds down 2.6 in the same time. So it's down, but they're they're holding on to those high yield bonds a lot more than they're holding on to the investment grade because they're getting a better yield out of it. And they know there's really no issues of them servicing the debt. Right. right. So so we're not seeing, and I, if you look at the simple, the 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 B of A uh, ICE um, high yield spread from treasuries to corporates, it's at 4.5. That's it's fine. So the credit market is 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 smooth, it's orderly. It's, it's, it's narrowing where it's supposed to be narrowing. It's spreading where it's supposed to be spreading, but it's, or it's widening where it's supposed to be widening, but it's not wide and it's, it's not, there's no velocity to it. Everything is kind of moving in concert with each other. You know, if we, if there was really a problem, I mean, we would see the, 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 the HYG LQD relationship would, would be absolutely reversed. The other thing I look at, this is kind of the thing that I've, I've, I've tended to do, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it, I'm starting to, so far, it's not been a bad idea yet. <laughs> Is I look at, I look at, I look at, I look at crypto. I look at Bitcoin. No, I don't buy Bitcoin. I don't, I'm not saying I recommend, I'm, I'm not, I'm not making any sort of a call on Bitcoin. Zero. I don't know crypto. I spend no time looking at it at all. I don't do any research on it. I really don't understand it all that much. To me, it feels like a solution of a problem. Okay. there. So I said all that. But what I look to Bitcoin for is pure risk appetite. Okay. Is there risk appetite out there? Okay. And we're seeing Bitcoin's up uh, like 10% in the last couple of weeks, three weeks. It's actually skyrocketed from about 25, 26,000. It's over 30,000 today. It's actually 
Heck, it's over 33,000 today. Okay, it's, it's gone up quite a bit in the last three weeks. Now, in tighter financial conditions, you would think that shouldn't work, but it is. And I've noticed that, and again, I haven't spent a tremendous amount of time doing this comparative analysis, but I, I tend to see Bitcoin lead the equity markets in time as far as what Bitcoin does about three weeks later, the equity markets, four weeks later, the equity markets start to do. It, it tends to lead the markets as far as down and up. Not necessarily in magnitude, but in time. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, the fact that Bitcoin hasn't fall out, fallen out of bed, I mean, in 2022 when rates were going up and, and everything was going down, Bitcoin got crushed and went from over 60,000 to, you know, whatever it was, 12 or 13,000. Well, since rates have been going up through this back half of October, Bitcoin has, has gone up. Equities have gone down. You know, so we're seeing this divergence. But I think we're seeing the divergence because Bitcoin tends to bottom sooner and rally sooner than the equities, because that's kind of that first knife's razor's edge of, of risk appetite out there. You know what I mean? And, that, and, and this is just my personal feelings. I have not spent a tremendous amount of time doing that. Like, well, exactly. You know, but they, there's an average of 3.7 weeks between the, the Bitcoin bottom and the equity. No, I haven't done any of that. Bitcoin's an interesting one. Um, I have a theory on how it could make sense in a portfolio, regardless of whether you like it as an investment, but that's a completely different conversation for a different day. And I sure certainly do not want to get into the, uh, the weeds of it sounding like I might be recommending or not recommending Bitcoin. Um, but it's, uh, it's, that's an interesting conversation just in general. The, the, the crypto thing really exploded onto the scene uh, over the last few years. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's controversial in itself. <laughs> so, well, I think, uh, believe that's about all the time we got today, Matt. Uh, really appreciate it, man. I'm, I really feel like we're starting to get into our little, uh, getting into a rhythm here. I don't know if that's good or bad, but we're finding our frequency. We'll see if anybody else likes it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm antisocial. So if they don't like it, they don't have to. As, as long as long as I have as long as I have someone to talk with every couple of weeks, that makes me happy. And that's all I care about. You know what? Maybe at the end of the day, it's one of those things. Sometimes we do these podcasts. I don't care if anybody's listening. We'll record it, and if if they stop listening, we'll stop recording. It's all right. We can right. talk. Right. <laughs> right. So. All right. Talk to you soon, my man. All right, dude. See you. Yep. People get so passionate about about both sides of the fence, and they just let it infect. And I use the word infect specifically. They let it infect every aspect of their lives. Yeah. You know what I mean? Friends, you know, uh, investments. Politics is like, it's like a cloud, not a dark rain cloud or storm. It's just this cloud and it kind of 